American Hammers Radio with Tex and Liam from the Fresno Irons. Hello and welcome into another edition of American Hammers Radio. It is episode 7 of season 2. This is Tex, your host, joined as always by the fan favorite, the people's champ, Liam Bright. How are you today, Liam? I'd feel a lot better if you'd stop pumping me up like that. The people, the people's champ. The only, I'm the only champion of them coming after me with pitchforks and torches and shit. So, well, believe me, it's a lot better than what they say about me. Trust me, I'm, I'm definitely a polarizing figure in this West Ham community. I think we both are at this point. But you know what? We excel at being assholes. So you know what? We embrace it. We embrace it. Bring it on, bring it on. We're drinking our, uh, I'm drinking my tea. Liam is uh, doing his yoga. So it is time. Oh, my bad. Liam has ice cold water and a frosty thermos. Uh, here we go. This is, uh, it was an interesting week for West Ham in the sense of we had a big game at 4.30 a.m. out here on the West Coast time and the Fresno Irons showed out. So thank you to all Fresno Irons that are listening. That was awesome. And in our match, um, it was interesting. I felt we were the better team in the second half, and we were awarded with a goal by who other than Mikel Antonio with a gorgeous bicycle kick goal, a total Mikel Antonio goal. He was a brute in front of the net, walled off his defender, got his foot on the ball, put it in. It was beautiful. little controversy leading up to that goal, but let's be 100% honest. What West, It's not a West Ham goal without a little controversy. So... <laughs> Um, obviously West Ham go one, one, they dominate the first half. They looked good. The second half kicks off. I'm expecting to see more of the same. And in the 55th minute, surprise, surprise. In what world are we living? Liam, when you take off Sergio Aguero, one of the most feared strikers in all of the, prim, of the prim, and you put on 20 year old Phil Foden and Phil <laughs> Foden changes the whole fucking game and from that point on West Ham were on the back heel Phil Foden within being on the pitch within five minutes has equalized the game for uh, Manchester City then the next thing you know what everybody knew was coming we have to admit it we knew it was coming Mikel Antonio pulls up a little lame not quite sure immediately gets taken off they chunk on Sebastian Allaire um, next thing you know, West Ham are on the back foot. They have no holdup play. They are struggling to get anything happening in that final third. Um, and let's be 100% honest, West Ham United really kind of fell, uh, felt very lucky to get a point in that game. They were clearly outclassed in that second half. Thank you to Lucas Fabianski um, making some key saves, especially after a horrendous back pass by my boy Yarmolenko. I will accept that. Um, <laughs> it was uh, it was the tale of two halves. You know, West Ham I think outplayed Manchester City in the first half. Were the better side, had the better of the opportunities, but in the second half, Manchester City showed their class. And Pep Guardiola, who I cannot stand because he refuses to wear a tie, and I'm sick of looking at his hipster wardrobe all the time on the sideline. At the end of the day, there, Liam, we got a point against a top six side. We have to be happy with that. Um, what are your thoughts on the match? No, I'm, I mean, I echo a lot of the same stuff that you were saying, especially when it comes to Pep Guardiola. Um, I have not liked that man for several years. And I always think back to like the MLS All-Star game where it was the, uh, I want to say it was in Portland and they beat Bayern Munich and he wouldn't shake 
the coach of the MLS All-Stars. Like, he just wagged a finger at him and walked away because he felt like they were playing too aggressive. And I'm like, uh, if your boys can't handle the the heat, get the fuck out of the kitchen. So I don't know what to tell you. But with with, with Pep, man, I think he, he kind of reminds me a little bit of a Pellegrini, right, where he has, like, his game plan and really doesn't deviate from it. So, you know, with that first half, he really didn't try to make any changes, tactical or otherwise. And then going into the second half, yeah, he puts in Phil Foden, and that changed the complexity of the game, and we were on the back on the back foot. But look at the, the, the track record that we have against Manchester City, man. Like, we usually let four or five goals go past us. And the fact that we were still able to hold tight to that 1-1 uh, 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 draw, like that's that's massive. That's huge, and that really shows the character and the dynamic that this team has, even after losing someone as important as Antonio up front. Whereas I think in years past, right, like we lose Payet, we lose uh, Arnautovic. I mean, even years and years ago, right, if you lose um, Carlton Cole or like Trevor Sinclair, like you see how the team really struggles without those key key players. And I think right now, you know, really other than maybe a Declan Rice or Lucas Fabianski, I think for the most part, everybody else kind of still pulls together and will make things happen. Um, Yarmo, yeah, definitely with that bad giveaway. We found out after the fact that his wife was due to give birth to their child. So I'm sure his his mind was a million miles away at that point. So no excuses, give, Liam, no excuses. <laughs> right? Well, I, I am willing to give him a little bit of a pass on that one, especially because he was so impactful the week before against Tottenham where we really needed him to be on his A game. So I think with this one, we can kind of chalk it up to just his mind wasn't in the right place, you know, and maybe he just made some decisions because – he wasn't really thinking things through the way that he usually is a little bit more tactical in, in his approach to the game. Um, it does get me a little bit worried, though, if uh, if maybe he is not the super sub that we uh, that we typically see coming off the bench, because I, I don't. I don't always feel like Yarmolenko is a game changer, and this one was kind of a, a return to form a little bit for him, whereas I kind of feel like the Tottenham game was a little bit of an outlier. I would love to see him bring that type of dynamic every time that he enters the pitch, but I don't think that there's a... a I don't think that, that he's quite as consistent as I would hope. And there was one one thing that I really thought was interesting, and I know you want to get into the uh, the substitutions on this one, but... I was really surprised that Snodgrass didn't come in off the bench. Oh, wait, that's right, because because he wasn't on the bench. Oh, so so I'm a genius, and we all must bow to my greatness. Because let's be honest, I called that shit, and I feel like there was somebody on this podcast that doubted my intellect on this one. Oh, that was fucking you. That oh, was you that God doubted damn. me, fucking Snodfather. <laughs> How did that one work out for you? Uh, yeah, you know, I, hey, I, I don't agree with it. I mean, I, I think that I'm still correct. Like, I understand that, yes, you won this battle. I will win the war. Um, it's, it's a situation where, I mean, I, I, I want to I point back to something you said. You know, you talked about Yarmo being the super sub that can change the game. And, and yes, his wife had a kid. He made a horrendous back pass. We have to acknowledge that was very poor. And Yarmo, up until that point, has played very well when he's come on. So I'm going to give him a pass as well. Um, not because of the kid, because because everybody has a bad game here and there. 
Everybody yeah. does. And in this game, normally we talk about all the time. You make a mistake at West Ham, it costs us a goal. In that game, the mistakes didn't cost us goals. The Phil Foden goal, that was all Phil Foden. That was, I mean, that yeah. ball came into him hot. He made one hell of a turn and he put it right in the corner. I mean, what do you do? If you're West Ham United, you can sit there and point fingers and everything, but the guy made a great play and he got a goal. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, I, I don't, I don't punish West Ham for letting Phil Foden score that goal. I know he's a very talented young player and he is going to make waves in European soccer for a long time. I get that. But this is where my frustration lies. And this is what I really want to point at in this game. Um, you talk about a game-changing sub. Well, there was one that they had that was left sitting on the bench, and his name is Manuel Len- Lanzini, the mm-hmm. jewel. And I don't understand in a game where you are struggling to find any footing in the second half going forward, put on a guy who wants to take the ball and run it, people. That's what Lanzini's done ever since he's been here. He wants to do that. The problem we've always had is he wants to take the ball too deep. He's trying yeah. to get the ball way too deep. When he gets it in a forward area, he's a much more dangerous player. So when I look at it, this is my problem with a, a, a manager like David Moyes. We are on an unbeaten run right now of four straight games. We have two wins, two draws, in a stretch of games that nobody even predicted us to get more than a point. Let's be honest. Okay? And we've accomplished eight points in that time. So that in of itself, kudos to David Moyes. I give you credit. My problem comes in for this particular game against Manchester City. In the second half, once you saw City get on the front foot and start that attacking, and you make substitutions, you make substitutions to maintain the draw, not to change the game. That's my problem. Yeah, And I have a massive issue with the way that he is substituting right now. It, as much as I shit on David Moyes, he has taken so many things away from me that I can shit on about. The only <laughs> thing I have left, Liam, is substitutions. And they look like they're getting worse. Yeah. And I cannot stand the fact that you have a player, Lanzini, who the week prior hit a goal that you have to capitalize on momentum. Capitalize. He's got it. He's... That could put him into form and slingshot him back into the jewel that we know and love here at West Ham United, and you don't even give him an opportunity? Yeah. I mean, it's it's infuriating that you don't give that player who gave that moment. That, we will talk about that goal against Tottenham for 30 years. <laughs> yep. Okay, yes, we will we talk about it for 30 fucking years. And you and that player is sitting on the bench itching to come on, says in an interview, I am ready to be the player that West Ham fans deserve. And he doesn't get an opportunity? Like, you've got to be shitting me, David Moyes. And your substitutions that you bring on are all to maintain one point? This is, Look, Big Sam didn't last at West Ham because he did things like that. Yep. West, well, he was, to, he was long balls. He was long ball Sam. Like that was that was the problem. Like the 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 biggest issue with Sam Allardyce is that he had he was a one trick pony. It was route one, long ball over the top. That was literally all that he had in his in his bag of tricks, and that was what was so infuriating because there was no tactical expertise. He he was great about yelling at them to just not concede. 
So it was like, go up early and then just sit back, park the bus, and just try to hope for a long ball counterattack. And at least with this team, we have some tactical expertise at the top where we have three guys with Fornells, Antonio, and Bowen that are a lethal threat at all at all moments. And then you still have Sufal and Masuaku and even Cresswell on the set pieces and Declan and, and Thomas Suchek. You have all these attacking pieces. Fuck, man, Balbuena scores. You know, the first goal in the comeback against Tottenham, like where on the on the field do we have somebody that cannot be an, an attacking threat? And it blows my mind that you want to shoehorn in Allaire, but you're not even going to give Lanzini the opportunity like that is criminal in not allowing him to, like you said, gain that momentum. I get you don't want to start him. Fine. But why not use it that third sub? There was no reason to not use all three substitutions, especially when you're on a 1-1, and typically you want a time waste anyways, so you absolutely use all three subs. And fucking Moyes drops the ball again. It's, uh, it, it, it's, it's becoming a point where as many things as Moyes has done right, those are the things that stick out. Those are the ones that stick out. When you have three subs and you don't use them, it's frustrating, especially when we're getting overran and you have a player on the bench who wants the ball at his feet to run at people. That's the guy that we need on the pitch in that moment. Somebody that's going to take the ball and make a run at the same time to give us a little bit of momentum. And it's just like, Liam, I don't know how to express this other than like, I want to puke on my tits when I think <laughs> about David Moyes having to make a substitution. Like I, David Moyes is the kind of guy that goes to a restaurant, orders a meal, it comes out wrong, and he goes, it's fine, I'll deal with it. You're paying fucking money for the food, send the goddamn food back, make them make it correctly. Don't be afraid. David Moyes, you have a third sub. Well, right now we're going to get the draw. Fuck you. Put somebody yeah. on, change the game. That's I.E. Slavin Bilic. He would have lost that game 2-1 because he would have thrown somebody on and he'd have been like, oh, well. And I get it. Right now, yeah. maybe the expectation at West Ham from David Moyes is that a point is a good result. But I'm not willing to accept that. As a fan, I cannot accept that, Liam. I can't. I won't. We have to attack we have oh my god Lanzini not getting an opportunity in that game is one of the most criminal things I've seen happen in a long time and that's another reason why I cannot back a guy like David Moyes and I will give him credit he has done things Dilium, that have changed the team this year he absolutely has but mm -hmm. are you shitting me you don't use your third sub like if yeah. you're why like look if our wives and girlfriends want to go round three in the bed, I'm saying yes every fucking time. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not going to stop it too. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to sit there and go, well, let's hold off till tomorrow night. Fuck that. She may not want to touch me for two weeks. So I'm going to get it in while I can. Give him an opportunity to get out there. And what if he hits another screamer? What if he did it again, Liam? And we yeah. beat Manchester City. Now you're looking at a player that you go, okay, we have to start him. Maybe he likes Fornell so much he doesn't want to put Lanzini on because he knows what's going to happen because he's at the training ground all the time and he sees Lanzini run fucking circles around Fornells. I just yeah. cannot. I, I don't. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I had to rant. It's so <laughs> infuriating that we do not put that player on and give him any opportunity. I mean, am I crazy, Liam, or do you agree? No, 100% I'm with you on this one. And I think that's where 
That's where it's hard to to really just gloss over any of the issues that we've had with David Moyes because I really feel like you have to call out the inconsistencies and like why utilize Lanzini as a super sub against Tottenham, but then look at Man City, Man City and go, oh, well, he's not going to be a game changer in this regard. Fuck, man. I don't even think Allaire touched the ball more than like twice the entire time. Like once they put him on, it was like playing with 10 men. It was like being a man down for the entirety of it. And I'm... I get it. Like, Allaire is a talented striker. And I get it that he does not work in this system. But Lanzini just showed a week prior that he does work in this system, that he can be the super sub that comes off. You don't have to completely change the game plan once he's on because he will still mold and fit with the players that are on there. And I can't think of anything more fucking terrifying than having, like, Masuaku, Bowen, Lanzini, Suchek... You know, all of these guys crashing into the box or firing shots outside the 18. Like, to me, if I'm Man City, if I'm fucking anybody in this league, I'm looking at that going, Jesus Christ, like, we're going to have to drop back. They're not, and they're not a team that's poised that much for counterattack. They they play the nice little fluid passing ball to try to dominate you with possession. And I think that's where Moyes completely missed the mark on this one. I think, it, like, if it's me, once I notice Yarmolenko having a bad game, I fucking pull Yarmolenko off and I put Lanzini on for Yarmo. If you want to leave Allaire, whatever, leave Allaire. And if you want to keep Fornells on because you like his work rate, that's fine. But you put on Yarmo, you saw that it didn't work. He almost fucking gifted them a goal. Put Lanzini on at that point because anything was going to be better than what we had on the field because we were struggling to maintain that, that equalization. Like we needed to try to go for it. And whether we did it or not, at least fucking try. So, yeah, I'm with you, man. Well, obviously, what changed the game, we talked about, you know, Phil Foden coming on really changed the makeup of what um, Manchester City were trying to do. But the other thing that we we need to acknowledge here is Mikel Antonio going off in the 65th minute with an apparent uh, hamstring injury. We're not positive, obviously. In our pre-production meeting, we mentioned West Ham United being very tight-lipped about this situation, which scares me, making the thing it's more serious. So... Again, it's the same old story for West Ham United now. Um, the guy we rely on to bang in goals to run the hold-up play, who we have no like-for-like replacement for, and Mikel Antonio, looks like he could be out. So I have to ask this question first and foremost, Liam. What do you do to change this situation now if Antonio's out? What do you do to maintain the momentum? What what? What is Liam Bright doing in a managerial role for West Ham United when the trainer comes in and says, hey, Mikel's pulled his hamstring again. He's going to be out two weeks. What do you do in those two weeks? So if it's me, I'm probably going to give Bowen the the shake for up front because I think that Bowen has, obviously he's a little bit more flashy with his technical expertise. And I think that it allows him to kind of showcase some of the holdup play because we've seen him collect a long ball or a through pass and still be able to put the ball past two, sometimes three defenders. So I think that while Antonio has absolutely been our, our lead goal scorer, like without question, especially if you include the goals that he had at the end of last season, I think the dude has been 100% beast mode. But I think the, the next closest individual that we have on the pitch that could be potentially a like-for-like like would be Bowen. And then that begs the, the discussion, so who fills Bowen's role on that right-hand side? And I Let's say, look, you've, I, yeah, I was about to say, you've got 
abs, you've got uh, Manuel Lanzini waiting in the wings who can play centrally, he can play on the right, he can play on the left. And what would really be awesome of this is that he can still play center. He can play as somewhat of a false nine. He, You know, I prefer him in kind of that center attacking mid, that number 10 playmaker, but he can still lead that attack. He still has that flashiness, that ability to get to weave between the defenders. And what one thing that I really liked when we were struggling against um, I want to say it was against Tottenham where Antonio kind of had to fall out to the left-hand side and Fornells kind of went into the center. You can do that with Lanzini and Bowen. Bowen can drift out to the right and Lanzini can drift center or vice versa with Fornells. And I think that that is what's going to constantly keep the, def- the, the defenders, which remember Liverpool will not have Virgil van Dijk for this game, that it's the, that defense looks a lot more porous than when they have VVD out there. So I think that there is a distinctive opportunity for us to overwhelm that back line with the right people. And say either Fornals or Bowen or Lanzini start to struggle in this game, you've got Benarama, who has still not seen the field, even though he was eligible for the Man City game, that now you can use him as a sub and see what he can do if he can change the game. And he's an unknown quantity. Liverpool will not know how to deal with this guy because they don't know how he's going to operate in this system. I think it's a win-win-win, man. Like I, I hate to see Antonio not available, but we've got options. What about you, Tex? What would be your oh, game plan? Man, I, uh, all right, so first and foremost... Um, I, I'm playing a false nine. I don't think there is a like-for-like like replacement on this team. I disagree. I don't think Bowen can do one-third of what Mikel Antonio can do. But there is one thing Bowen can do. So I agree with your shout for him to go into that striking role. Because if you honestly look at it and you go, who do we put in? Well, honestly, the most like-for-like like replacement we have, on all honesty, is probably Yarmolenko. It's probably his big body with hold-up play, and he's strong. Doesn't have the pace Antonio does, but he's the closest. But I don't play Yarmo because I agree with you. I think you play a false nine, and you keep that defense guessing that's vulnerable without Van Dyke out there. And I agree with you. I think Bowen is that false nine. And I think that's the guy you do. But I also agree that Lanzini comes on. And when Lanzini comes on, you have to play him in that number 10 role. He needs to play in behind the striker, which means that I, as as reluctant as I am to say this, you have to leave Fornals on out on the left-hand side. Bowen drifts into that striker role, but he, he obviously has a free reign. You have Lanzini sitting in behind and out on the right-hand side. I'm telling you the truth. I think it's, I think it's Benarama. I think you put him in and you let's see what he do. Although Benarama normally plays on the left. So maybe that's not the right move. I, there's so many ways you can go, but this is my big test for this game. Antonio out. Can we overcome is my big question. Do we have what we need? That answer for me is yes. Question is, does Moyes know that? And that's yeah. where my problem comes in because Every West Ham manager that we have had since, God, man, I I can't think of a manager. I mean, maybe Redknapp was the last one that truly had a plan B. He truly could yeah. implement a plan B. Um, and, and if I'm wrong on that, I'll obviously eat it. But Redknapp's the last one I can recall that truly had the ability to run a plan B. Now, because, I mean, we all know, we said it, Big Sam had no plan B. Um, right. Slavin Bilic had no plan B. 
Um, Pellegrini had no plan B. David Moyes, last time and this time, doesn't look to have a plan B, but this is the first time this season he's going to be asked to show it. I think the move is to play a false nine. I think you you try to take advantage of a possibly confused Liverpool defense, and I think you pack out the midfield and you try to hold the ball and you keep it away from them. And that's the way I think you win this game or at least get a point out of it. So I guess my big question is, um, outside of that, is you know back to you, Liam, is I, I believe we have what we need. I think we're kind of in line with what we want to do. But do do you think that West Ham have the players they need to overcome Mikel Antonio with a possible lengthy um, lengthy vacation stay here on the injury list? I don't think so, just because Antonio brings not just the hold-up play, not just the physicality, but the pace for me is what really separates him from so many other strikers. Um you know, uh, you know, like we look at Harry Kane from Tottenham, right? Like he's a good striker. I think he has good vision, but I never look at Harry Kane on the ball and think like, oh yeah, that dude's going to break away and just absolutely leave the defenders in the dust. Like there's, there's only a handful of strikers that you can really make that claim. And I'll be honest, like for Antonio, he has, he's like the triple threat, right? The physicality, the technicality, and then also the, the, the pace. And what when he was on that breakaway not too long before he goes off with the injury, the um the defender goes in for a tackle, completely mistimes it, does not hit the ball at all, takes out Antonio's leg, and no penalty is called. I absolutely think that that run was when Antonio hurt himself. I think when he went off and he was trying to just beat both those defenders, and when the tackle came in, I think he came down just a little bit awkwardly. And we know, obviously, from seasons past that he's been susceptible to that hamstring uh, injury. So, I th- like you said, I think it is it was a matter of time before that was going to happen because we did not have another viable option where we could really give Antonio more time off the pitch, like bringing somebody in at the 65th minute. Normally, that allows him to kind of get that rest, and that way he's not pushing it till that 75th, 80, 80, 85th minute before he gets subbed off for a layer to make a cameo and really not impact the game in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I mean, unless you can figure out a way to get Fornals and Bowen to play off of Yarmo in a way that it does not, it does not necessitate Yarmo to play with the same type of pace that Antonio does, and that he can kind of play his game where maybe he sits between the center backs and he waits for the through ball or he waits for the cross into the box and he just one touches it into the goal or heads it into the goal because he can muscle people off the ball. I don't know. I don't know if that's particularly the fix that I'm going to go with. I I prefer killing a team with pace. And even though Bowen doesn't have the physicality, he does have the pace. So I'll, I'll go with that. I, I agree. And I think that, you know, we're talking about this and I think we need to mention a player and we have to discuss him right now. And I think that's true. And that's Sebastian Allaire because $45 million striker and he comes on against Manchester city and he virtually disappears. He has no ability to have any good holdup play. I heard somebody one time on a West Ham outlet say, well, he's got good holdup play. And I literally laughed. I remember <laughs> listening to it laughing going, are you serious? Because his holdup play is, is average at best. Yes. He can hold up when the guy behind him is not good, but Mikhail Antonio can hold it up against anyone. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Marco Analtovic, say what you want about him. He could hold the ball up against anyone. Um, Sebastian Allaire, he's, I've said this a million times, he's a Robin. He's not a Batman. Yeah. And if he doesn't have a Batman to play off of, he's going to look lost. 
You know, there's a reason Robin died in the comics once he left Batman and became Nightwing. When you don't have Batman, it's really, really tough because Batman takes a lot of punishment away and he draws a lot of attention away to allow you to shine. And when he was in the German Bundesliga, he had a striking partner that really helped him do what he had done and got him that $45 million buy to West Ham United. So I don't believe that Sebastian Allaire can do it. I do believe that David Moyes will play him. And I think that we will have to deal with Sebastian Allaire for 45 minutes and we're probably going to be on the back foot. And if we survive that, maybe he makes a change at halftime and goes with a false nine with like a David, I mean, not David, with a Jared Bowen. And and maybe we see something happen. But really, if I, I guess I respectfully disagree because I think we have what it takes on the bench to run a plan B. I just don't know if David Moyes can do it. That, that's just <laughs> that's just really where my question comes in. And speaking of David Moyes, who were unaware of whether he can do it or not, there's been some rumors flying around out there, Liam. Uh, what are the latest rumors on uh, Mr. David Moyes? So it, it, this popped up on Twitter uh, actually earlier today, and uh, it, it looks like the, the uh, – Celtic FC in the Scottish Premier League is potentially looking to switch up managers. And right now, David Moyes is a three to one odds on favorite to take the job. Uh, now, this isn't to say that Moyes has said anything about his interest in taking the job. This may just be a bargaining chip for him to try to get a better contract or to extend his contract with West Ham United. Because keep in mind, he was. He was signed on for 18 months. So yes, that was the end of last season and then he'll have the entirety of this season. But once the you know 2021 season is over, so is David Moyes. So I think that kind of leads us into a very interesting discussion, especially for someone like you, Tex, um, that would probably g- gladly dance a Texan jig on the grave of David Moyes. What would you feel at this point in time if David Moyes was to jump ship? Say he's done and sick and tired of David Sullivan and decides that he's going to give him two birds and walk his happy ass back to Scotland. Are you sad? Do you feel like this uh, drastically changes our season? Where's your head at in this one? So it's, um, I'm filled with glee on one side. <laughs> um, and then there's a lot of question marks on the other because sometimes the devil, you know, is better than the devil. You don't. Yeah. And so when I kind of look at the situation, first off, I would not fault Moyes for taking the Celtic job. I would not. They are going to dominate the Scottish league. They're always going to be there. They really only have competition from one team and Rangers. And that's, you know, every third year that they really have competition with them. And they're always going to, and you're going to be coaching in the championship, um, the champions league. And it's not the championship, excuse me, but the champions league. And you're going to get an opportunity to, you know, really be on a much bigger stage. And the notoriety is a lot bigger. Um, Am I happy with David Moyes? No, absolutely fucking not. I am not. I do not think he is the manager that's going to get West Ham United where I think they can be. So when you ask me would I be happy or sad, I as as weird as it is for me to say this, I would be indifferent. Um, I don't yeah. I don't I wouldn't necessarily dance a Texan jig on his on his <laughs> grave, although I would crack a half smile. Um I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit there and be sad and be like, oh my God, we're going to fall apart. I would go, 
there's a pretty good core here and hopefully some people can do it. I mean, maybe the next manager's playing on the team, <laughs> Mark Noble. But I mean, really, <laughs> I just I just kind of look at this situation with him and I roll my eyes because let's be 100% on if you're Celtic. Celtic could put me in at manager and they're going to win the Scottish Premier League. It's going to happen because they have the best players. They have the most support. They're going to win. So part of it is going there. There's no challenge. You know, you can go there for a couple of seasons, rebuild your name. People go and they forget about what you were at West Ham United. And then maybe you get a higher paying job in the prim, i.e. Brendan Rogers when he got Leicester city. So I, I have to ask this question. Are we really, sold that David Moyes is the man to take us into the future? Because if we are, then you give him a long-term contract. I am not, but I'm not making that decision. That's a decision made by a couple of knuckleheads and one West Ham fan. So when I look at this situation, <laughs> I, I just think that David Moyes is a guy who clearly the players like. I mean, you don't, if you're Declan Rice and you score a goal and you run to hand, hug the manager before you hug any other player, that says something, you know, it says something. So I re- I'm going to throw it back to you because I would be indifferent if he left, although I would not blame him for taking Celtic for all the reasons listed earlier, but I wouldn't necessarily be happy if he stayed either. See, I think I'm I'm leaning a little bit more towards uh I, I think I'd be sad to see him go. And it's not just because of the buy-in that the players have absolutely given him on on the pitch, but I think the 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 some of the stuff that he's done in the back room as well, right? Like bringing on Kevin Nolan as part of his support staff. Like I think that's that's huge. I think um you know, bringing on uh bringing back Stuart Pierce, especially after the board was so reluctant to allow him to come back after his comments from the first go around uh that David Moyes had at the club. I think this is indicative of the fact that this is probably the first manager in a while that we've had that doesn't seem afraid to stand up to the board. I think the caveat to that, of course, is Benarama, because it seemed like from all the reports that uh, that King was Moyes' guy. That was the pick that Moyes had, and the board was really pushing Benarama, and Moyes kind of came around on the person. But I think that was more of finding a happy middle ground. But Sullivan even went on TalkSport and talked about how he wanted to bring in players you know, the basically players on the cheap and Moyes told him, no, like, no, I don't want that player. That's not going to be beneficial for me. Look at uh, the one kid from Chelsea that was going to cost like what? 30, 30,000 pounds every single time that he didn't uh, start for the team. And Moyes was like, no, fuck that. Like, I don't want that. That's, that's a huge waste for me to have to include this kid that I don't know how, how he's going to perform in my squad until I actually see him perform. So I kind of like that Moyes has had a little bit more of a backbone than some of the managers we've seen in the past that seems a bit more inclined to stand up to the board. So if he's got the backroom staff that supports him, especially when he's out on COVID and they can still run his plays, if he's got the buy-in for the team, like I do think that we would lose a lot of the momentum that we've gained so far in this season. And I would love to see him at least finish out this year, see where we end up. And if he can build a foundation for the next guy, does that make sense? Like if I, I'm not saying that it's Eddie Howe or Brendan Rogers or whoever it is that comes in, but if Moyes builds a solid foundation, kind of builds this team 
around Declan Rice the way that it seems to be, I think it makes it so the next guy that comes in is the one that does take us to the future. But I need us to be a consistent top 10 finisher. We need to stop being in the relegation zone. Just Otherwise, this is never going to kick on for us. I, I, I think you're right. I really do. Um, I kind of look at the situation, and uh, I think that West Ham United, they really have to make a decision here because I think that it's getting to the point, and I, I think it's all a ploy. I think this whole Celtic thing, I think it's all false. I think David Moyes, is this is a leverage move to get uh, a long-term deal at West Ham United, and I think it's a situation where you have to go, is this the right player for us? Is this the guy that's going to take us into that quote-unquote stratosphere that we were promised when we first went into um, the new stadium? Because West Ham United have lost their identity. We have to admit that. And they're struggling to find what that identity is going to be. So when you look at it, uh, Liam, is David Moyes the guy that's going to bring us back that identity that we have so um, cherish that we had at the bowl end that we no longer have, because that's what I really think it comes down to. It doesn't matter what I think about him. doesn't matter what you think about him. If the players believe that he's given them an identity again, then maybe this isn't such a bad shout to bring him back. Holy shit. Am I talking myself into this right now? Like I, I'm really, I'm, <laughs> I'm really like, I, I'm kind of at a loss right now. And, and, and what I'm saying, but you know, talking this out, we're unbeaten in a month and we look good. Even when we play bad in the half, we don't, pl- we're not conceding three or four goals like we did under Slavin Bilic. We're conceding one and we're staying in the game. So I, I don't know, man. I, I'm just really, really curious what you think here. It's, it, it, to me, I think this is, this is the guy for now. This is the guy in the moment. And I, I and I, I want to say it's kind of, it's kind of reminiscent, right, of like Billich's first season where we had like that seventh place finish and everybody was like, yeah, you know, we're all on the Billich train. Like this is going to be, you know, this this is the West Ham way. He has the, you know, uh, he has the history with the club. He knows how to take this club to the future. And I think with, with Moyes being viewed as um, a little bit of an outsider, right? Like, he, you know, people mostly view him as like the Everton guy. His, his stint at Man, Manchester United was, you know, nothing to really gloat about. Um, his time at Sunderland saw them relegated, but I think that was more indicative of poor management and a poor team because then they were immediately relegated under a different manager the very next season. So yeah, Moyes takes a lot of flack for that, but you know, when you, I don't know if you've watched any of Sunderland Till I Die on Netflix, but it very much shows that there was a deep-rooted problem in that club that was more than just the manager. So I think anybody that had taken that job was going to struggle. So I don't really blame Moyes when it comes to to Sunderland's, you know, fall from the prem. But you know, it's it's hard for me to really get behind it because I remember you and I sitting, you know, face to face talking about. You know, when Pellegrini was sacked and there were all these names being floated around and Moyes being at the top of us and neither of us being in support of Moyes coming back because it, it very much felt like an admission of guilt as though it was like, oh, well, we didn't really back him the first time, not from us, but from like the board. We didn't really back Moyes the first time, didn't give him the opportunity. We went with the uh, flashy name with Manuel Pellegrini. Shit didn't work out. So our plan B is to go back to Moyes. But I feel like Moyes has earned it. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like he's done more. And 
fuck, man, like just think about the passion he had in the Tottenham game. When that Lanzini goal goes in, he's losing his mind, jumping around on the field, and the dude's, what, late 60s? And, like, he's spry at that point. Like, you could tell this means a lot to him, and it's not just a he wants to keep the job, which I know he does. I know he wants to be here at West Ham, but it matters to him. It matters that these players perform well. It matters that... You know, he gives them praise when they're doing well. He tell gives them criticism when he needs them to step up. And these guys respond to him. And at the end of the day, I think that that's what we've missed these last several years because we remember the fallout from Dimitri Payet and it was a poisoned dressing room. And then Payet's gone and it feels like maybe we're going to get it back together. And then lo and behold, Arnautovic pulls almost the exact same stunt. So it always feels like we've had this disconnect, right? Where the team never really seemed to click. It didn't really feel like everybody was on the same page. I mean, keep in mind, dude, we have a $45 million striker that's sitting on the bench. We have Mark Noble that's sitting on the bench, which he hasn't even come on in the last two matches as a super sub, but he seems happy. He seems content just to see the team be successful. And for all points and purposes, man, like that's kind of good enough for me. I, I would love to see us finish top six. And yeah, a win over Man City actually would have catapulted us to like, what, third or fourth? But we're sitting at eighth place, man. Like we're tied with Man City on points and we're in eighth place. Nobody would have seen that coming when you looked at the fixture list at the beginning of the season. And who is going up against Liverpool this, uh, this weekend? Fearful. I think most of West Ham fans are all going... I feel good about this. I feel like we have a shot to walk away at least with points, if not a win. Well, I think um, I think that, you know, to make it very simple, you're sad. You love Moyes. Um, you definitely want to hold hands with him and skip through the meadow. Me, oh, on the yeah. other hand, it's kind of like an ex-girlfriend I've dated before. If she walks away, I'm fine with it. If she wants to stick around and, you know, it's sex for free. You know, let's just be 100% <laughs> honest there. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think David Moyes has definitely done a lot of positive things. I give him the most hell in the world and I still don't like him. And I'm, I'm, I want to go on record right now saying I want him to leave, but I also want to go on record saying I'm kind of an idiot. Just ask Liam. I thought Robert <laughs> Snodgrass should be on the bench. So, um, Right now, we're going to move into our match preview here. Uh, obviously, you mentioned it. We're playing Liverpool this weekend. We're playing the champs. Um, it's the it's the game everybody marks on their schedule. When you find out when you're playing the team that won the league the year prior, you want to put out your best foot forward in that game. Obviously, there's a lot of questions going into this game, first starting with Mikel Antonio. Who knows if he's going to play or not? It doesn't look like he will. So this starting 11, I think, that you and I are about to put out against Liverpool – we're going to probably operate under the assumption that Mikel Antonio is not going to play. Cause I think you and I both have him as the starting striker. If he is healthy for sure so right now, uh, Liam, this is the, this is the moment it's, it's big. What is the plan B that we should see out on the pitch um, coming? And what do you, you know, what do you think you're going to see? Obviously we know what you want to do, but what do you think David Moyes is going to do? So, I actually went with, um, and I changed it during our conversation because as we were talking about what is the potential plan B, what are the options, I actually think that although at first I was thinking that Moyes was just going to keep everything the same and just plug Alaire in up front because that seems like a very Moisey thing to do, but I am almost banking 
that Moyes is going to assume that Klopp is going to think that. That, okay, we just have to prepare for Allaire. You know, just keep two center backs on him. He has no hold-up play. Just watch him. Watch out for crosses in the box. Just box, just stay on top of him. He gets frustrated. He won't run. We'll be fine. I actually think Moyes is going to try to switch it up. And I keep everything in the back the same. Like, with obviously, with Fabianski, with the back line of five, I keep everybody the same. I bring in Lanzini. And I move Bowen to the to the to up top because I think that Moyes is going to want to still play pretty much the same game plan. And one of the other things we didn't talk about that I think is absolutely a potential here is that if Lanzini struggles and he does or if he doesn't end up wanting to put Lanzini on that side, he also has Fredericks as an option. Remember, we do have Sufal as that starting uh, uh, right back or right wing back. And Fredericks can put a cross in the box. He does have pace. He loves to get in behind and race to the touchline. That's another option on that wing. Like, if he doesn't think that Lanzini has the work rate, he knows that Fredericks does. So he can absolutely put Fredericks there. And if Fredericks isn't as relied upon to have to drop his back deep, he's not going to get caught out of position as he usually does when he is in that right back position. But as a right wing back, if Sufal's covering a little bit deeper, Fredericks can play a little bit more north. I like that. I think that actually brings that pace that we would lose with Antonio being gone, that Lanzini, even though he has the technicality, he doesn't always have that pace. And as you said, he does like to take the ball in from too deep, and then he has he spends too much time trying to weave through everybody to move the ball back forward. So for me, I would personally love to see Lanzini on the side. I don't know particularly if that's what uh, Moyes will do. So more than likely, if it's Moyes, he's probably going to put either Fredericks or Benarama, or he's going to kill us both and he's going to keep Lee Bowen there and he's going to put Yarmo or Alaire up top. What about you, man? What's your thought? Uh, I, I, I love what you said. I just think you're giving Moyes too much credit. I don't think that's what we see. Um, the one thing um, I agree, I think it stays. The shout of Diop coming in, I don't think. I think he's going to stick with Balbuena. I yeah. don't think you really mess with something that's working. So I've got Fabianski, Cresswell, uh, Ogbana, and Balbuena as the back three. Wingbacks still stay the same with Sufal and Masuwaku. Um, obviously, you don't break up that that partnership in the midfield with Suchek and Rice. I think they're killing it right now. Um, so up front, those front three is where the interesting things are going to happen. What is going to happen is Bowen will stay out right. We will see for now stay out left. Allaire will become the striker. What should happen is for now should stay out on the left. You should put Bowen in as a false nine and Lanzini on the right side with the ability to drift in and Bowen to drift out, which we talked about earlier, and yeah. keep keep everybody guessing on what's going to happen. Um, you play the total opposite game of the physical game that Mikel Antonio played because you realize that we don't have anybody that can do what Antonio can do. We don't. So you don't you don't try to recreate it. You don't. You know, um, you just play to the player's strength. So what's Bowen's strength? Speed. What is Lanzini's strength? Drifting inside and creating space and finding that pass. That's what he's good. He's a string puller. He's always been that way, and he's got a goal in him. You know, he's proven that time and time and time again that he's got a goal. So the when I look at this starting lineup, the front three are where we should see changes, but we won't. And I wouldn't be shocked if Diop goes in for Balbuena. I would really not be shocked. Balbuena, since he's been starting, has made one bad play. 
And that was against Tottenham, but he made up for it by scoring a goal. Yeah. So therefore, in in my opinion, he gets a seven on the on the rating sheet because he had a mistake, but he got a goal, balances out, he played fairly well outside of that. He gets a seven. So I, I don't take Balbuena off. Um, I agree with you. We have to see a plan B. Um, I think what's interesting is Ben Harama. I would love to see what he's going to do. I think Ben Harama should start on the bench. But here's here's what I here's what I think may happen. If he starts Allaire and Allaire doesn't do anything for 45 minutes, I'm really going to love to see. He should do a double change in half. He should absolutely do a double change. Take Fornals off. Take Allaire off. Bring Lanzini on. Bring Ben Harama on. And let's see if we can't really shake things up up front. Because Liverpool are vulnerable right now, no matter what anybody says. you got to take advantage of an opportunity. But even Liverpool vulnerable is still very dangerous, and they've got goals in them all over the place. So Trent Exaler-Arnold, don't give him a free kick, because anywhere on the on the pitch, he'll hit it. So I, I look at that situation, and I, I agree with you. I just don't give Moyes as much credit as you're giving him, and I think we see Allaire up top, and that's the only change we're going to see, and it's going to be sad, but that's what we're going to see. So out knowing those things, um, what's your score prediction for the match? Oh, I think this one's going to be pretty similar. Uh, I think this will be this will be pretty gutsy. It'll be pretty much a brawl uh, front to back. I do think that we probably control some of the early minutes, of the game, and then Liverpool kind of gets into uh, their system. If it does end up being a layer up top, um, I don't think that we get a goal from him uh, unless it's late in the game off of a off of a set piece. I think if we get an early goal, it's probably coming off of Bowen or it's coming off of a set piece, and it'll probably be like Suchak or you know Ogbonna or Balbuena. Um, I think. I think at that point Liverpool comes back and puts two on us, so that we're we're down two one, and I do think we make that last minute equalizer. Um, but I think it's something fun like Masawaku. You know, I feel like the dude has been a, a hammer of the year contender. Like yeah, like down at like third or fourth place hammer of the year, but he's been so consistent this year. I absolutely would love to see him put it in the back of the net, uh, back of the net, and I want to see him do it by like just absolutely weaving through the defense and then firing it like top bins. Like I, I want to see it. I think he's done more than enough to earn it. And for him to be able to do it against Liverpool, that's money right there. My friend, what about for you? Oh man, your claret and blue vision is so, <laughs> I admit, if, it fills me with hope. I get chills. I feel all warm and squishy inside. It's either that or I set on something, but nonetheless, um, your score predictions always wow me. I, I think we go down in this game too, Neil. And I think without Mikel Antonio, it's going to be really hard for us to score. Um, I don't give Moyes uh, credit to – I'm going to give you two predictions here. If you play Sebastian Haller, we lose the game 2-0 because I don't think Sebastian Haller is cut to play in the prim. And I'm going to say it and I'm going to stick by it. He's not physical enough. He doesn't have the mental attitude. He's got the ability. The ability is there. I'm not questioning that. He can absolutely play with anybody out there. But – it takes a special mindset to play in the prim. It does, and he doesn't have it. And so, therefore, I, as much as I hate to say it, he was, he's was he been a waste of $45 million. If I was buying him as a striker from West Ham, I would offer $17.5 million, and I might go up to 18 That's what yeah. I think that he is worth. So when I look at the situation, I think we go down to Neil. I think we play hard. I just think we have no ability to do anything in the final third. There's just too many things Liverpool can throw at you. Uh, 
uh, Mo Salah can create his own space. Uh, Firmino just finds his way in the right places at the right time. Sané is incredible. Um, Sadio Mane is just one of those guys that's absolutely incredible. Um, and he's a guy that can find his own shot at any moment. He can score from anywhere on the pitch pretty much. And then don't forget if they, if they're given a set piece, Trent Alexander Arnold, we already said it, you know, he'll, he'll hit a shot. So I just think Liverpool just have too much. They offer way too much going forward. And even though they're vulnerable in the back, the one thing we need to really take away, um, any ability for them to really run away with the game, Mikel Antonio at this moment looks like he's not going to be there. So I, I have us going down to Neil. Um, so Liam, who's your man of the match for West Ham United? Well, before I give you that, I wanted to 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 think back real quick. So when we played Liverpool, and it was like within what a three week span last season, like it was like we played them, played Man City, and then played Liverpool again. Both games were really close, and I feel like the second time around, like Liverpool really had to come back just to try to get that winning goal. And I feel like we had Jeremy and Gakia at that at that right back position, but majority of the rest of the the team, I mean, other than I, what well, we, I don't think we had Bowen and we didn't have Suchek, um, for either one of those uh, of those matches. But now we've got Bowen, we've got Suchek, we've got Sufal on that right hand side. I think, honestly, man, like that's why I'm feeling more confident about this game. And and Aston Villa was able to put what like six past Liverpool. So and that was with Virgil Van Dyke on the field. Like I think that there's goals to be had, and I do not think this Liverpool team has figured it back out the way that they did. Like, with me saying that, now, of course, they're going to figure it out against us because that's just the way that things work. Um, but I re- I really do feel a bit more confident, and it's not just Moyes at the helm. I really think it's that these players have gelled in a way that I don't think Liverpool has. You're right, though. They have, they have a bunch of different... Um, goal scorers on the pitch at any given time. I just think all of those guys seem off their game this season. And I think that with Virgil van Dijk missing, I think that leaves them very exposed in the back. And I'm really hoping that we could see somebody like, I don't know, maybe a Declan Rice absolutely shine by dominating that midfield, especially knowing that he's got, as he said at the end of the Man City match, having Thomas Suchek there, the guy that is more than willing to do way more of the running than, I mean, Declan doesn't say it, but more running than Mark Noble would do in the middle of that field. Um, it, it allows Rice to play the game that is more suited to his uh, technique. And I think that for me, it'll probably be Declan Rice as man of the match. Cause I think if he orchestrates that midfield the way we need him to, it almost won't matter who's up top because he will make sure that the ball does not go through the middle of the field, and it's just going to be a bunch of lazy crosses that Balbuena and Diop can head out of the way and lead the counterattack. What about you, man of the match? Uh, man, first off, I, I I think you bring up some good points. I just I just think Liverpool offer too much, and I don't know if we're ready to be on their level. And maybe we are, maybe we're not. But uh, my man of the match is going to be Ogbonna. I think Ogbonna is going to break up a lot of play in the box late when it matters. He's going to head away. going to get some great clearances. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not going to be enough. Um, because no matter who they partner with him with back there, one guy has got a mistake in him. It's either Balbuena or Diop. And whoever you play there, both of them have mistakes in them. Cresswell has proven this year that he is just fine. So I don't see the mistake coming from Cresswell, and I don't see it coming from Ogbonna. 
but we don't have maybe Craig Dawson if he starts in this game, which would be crazy. <laughs> um, Craig Dawson to me is a much more consistent defender than our other two. He just, you know, we just know what Craig Dawson is. He's never going to be wait, better wait. than what he is. Craig Dawson, didn't we get him from Watford? <laughs> Hell, I don't know where we got him wait, from. We, wait, I think we got him out of the bargain bin. Right, but wait, didn't didn't wasn't Watford the team that beat Liverpool the week after we played them and we showed every other team the game plan on how you can take it to Liverpool? And Watford <laughs> of all teams handed Liverpool their first loss of what they thought was going to be their undefeated season. So, dude, Craig Dawson may be the key to unlocking this Liverpool team. I've I'm, I might change it, man. Maybe you throw Craig Dawson in there, and he's the one that scores the goal, and we win 1-0. Like, 1-0 to the Cockney boys, and it's fucking Craig Dawson. <laughs> you heard it. You heard it here first. American Hammers Radio, Craig Dawson, man of the match, lock it in. Place your bets. Place your bets. Uh, Craig Dawson yeah. with a hat trick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, it's time for everybody's uh, favorite part of the show. Uh, time for our yellow card, red card. Hit me with your yellow card. All right, so initially I was going to give him a red card because it was really poor play out there on the pitch against uh, Man City. But I'm giving my yellow card to Yarmo because I am giving him the pass on the uh, baby being born. But not only that, when I rewatched the game, because that's what I do, um, when he gave up that bad back pass, he didn't give up and just let the defense try to do it like take care of it. He ran his ass all the way down there. Like luckily they were able to deal with the, with the danger before he got there, but you could see that Yarmo very quickly recognized the mistake that he made and he did what he could to rectify it. So I will always, always give a fair shake to a player that doesn't just put their head down and, you know, kick the, kick the grass when they make a mistake, the guy that does everything he can in his power to try to fix it. So, you know, just a yellow card, Yarmo, congratulations on the newborn addition to the family, but don't let that shit happen again if you, you have you have you have lost your privileges of having any more children unless you're going to birth those kids during the off season so keep your head in the game i would love to see you come on super sub and take it to liverpool how about you man yellow card yellow card goes to sebastian Allaire. I, I gotta see something out of you man like you, you're 45 million dollars you say you're frustrated we can tell you're frustrated the way you play though you're gonna have to learn you can't you are the common denominator in your poor play you control that. So you have to step up and show me something. I want to see you be the player that we bought for $45 million. Um, you're getting an opportunity. It looks like Mikel Antonio is going to be out. And we all know that David Moyes is dumb enough to give you another chance. So why don't you make good on him and come out there and score two goals and flip off every West Ham fan, including me, that's been shitting on you and let us know that this is who I am. I just need to get the service or I need to get the opportunity. Whatever it may be, Sebastian, find it. Listen to a song. Get Eminem going in your house. Lose yourself. <laughs> I don't fucking care. Find a way to motivate yourself and do it. All right. Hit me with your red card, Liam. Okay, I'm actually changing my red card from what our uh, our, our pre-match meeting was. My red card oh, is actually shit. going this is to... scary. It's going to Felipe Anderson, because I completely forgot to talk about this earlier, but he, he went over to Porto on loan, as we all know, 
and he has only featured once, and already the manager is talking crap on the guy. He's already saying he needs to improve his work rate, he needs to work harder, he needs to try harder, and you brought up a perfect point with Allaire. The common denominator is Allaire. It's not Moyes, it's not West Ham United, it's Allaire needs to figure his shit out. Anderson is getting the opportunity to figure his shit out at another team, and is still not figuring his shit out. So here's a luxury player that we spent a lot of money on, what, 27 mil? Something like that? 40. 40, 40 mil. Jesus H. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, here's these players that come in and they want to look at it as like, oh, well, the manager isn't playing me to my strengths. Oh, well, the team isn't doing... The team's doing fucking fine without you. You need to get your head out of the sand and you need to figure your shit out. So you look at Anderson who, God forbid, Porto goes, hey, man, you can have your player back because it's not working out for us. And then we have to figure out what to do with him in the meantime. But I hope he gets his, his shit together and he figures it out at Porto because I would love to see him come back. Back at the end of the season for his last year of his contract, because I, I, God, I hope we don't renew it, but I hope he comes back for that last year and he fucking shines because we need our players to shine. We need our players to gel. Alaire, no exception. Anderson, red card, buddy. You're not coming back until you're ready. How about you, buddy? Red card. Oh, it's simple. It's David Moyes. Learn how to use your fucking subs, okay? You have three <laughs> subs. Use them. You have a guy on the bench named Manuel Lanzini who just hit one of the goals and that will live in West Ham infamy for 45 years. We'll be talking about that damn goal. So I don't understand what your problem is. I don't understand. Um, you should be managing to win games, not draw them. That's why you walk around like a living draw. I mean, dude, I, I bet his wife is boring as shit. Let's be 100% <laughs> honest. Like David Moyes, come on, man. Stand up. Do what you got to do. Manage to win games. And David Moyes' wife, just so you know, you're probably an absolute peach of a woman. I just don't understand why you would choose David Moyes. That's all I'm saying. So, That's what I do. Draw. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just a situation where, I mean, I'm going to give you the red card until you figure it out. I mean, Manuel Lanzini should have at least got 20 minutes in that game and you gave him none. And you had a third sub and you never used it. It's very frustrating. Um, those are, uh, you know, we're running out of time here. So obviously we're here at the end of the show and it's time for our PSA. Um, we want to let you know that if you ever feel like making a decision, that's probably a decision you shouldn't make and you feel like you're lost and you don't know exactly what to do here in the United States, there is the national suicide prevention lifeline. And that number is 1-800-273-8255. Again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. Eight two five five. Um, obviously, that's near and dear to the Fresno Irons' hearts. We will definitely go into that at a later date. But we want you to know that we are here for you. And if you're listening to this show, you can obviously reach out to myself or Liam, and we will help you in whichever way we can. If you're a member of the West Ham community, this is a family. Remember that, and you are loved. Um, obviously a couple of quick things here. Um, for those of you, we want to plug a channel called My Hammers Eleven. From a good buddy of ours now, because we had intimate conversations with him, <laughs> um, uh, Russ Budden. So uh, make sure you pop on over to YouTube and watch that. And you can watch uh, the show done with me. And obviously, just recently released the show done with our one and only Liam Bright. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, uh, Liam, uh, anything you any nice, kind words you want to say about our boy Russ? 
I think, I mean, he was absolutely a delight to talk to. Uh, I think for you guys, went about 45 minutes. For him and I, I think we went almost an hour because everybody knows I don't shut the fuck up ever. Uh, but it didn't <laughs> seem like that bothered Russ at all. We had a we had a grand time just talking about the team that we love. And he's just the sweetest dude, man. Like, you you feel like, you, even though neither of us were, like, drinking some whiskey, but I felt like I was sitting down in a pub just having a conversation with another Hammer fan. So, um, you know, my, my hat goes off to Russ. He was, he was absolutely a delight to talk to if you guys haven't checked out the channel absolutely check it out if you found our show through russ um i'm sorry that we're not as enjoyable uh but hopefully you stick around because we do have a good time over here uh once again that's my hammers 11 on youtube make sure you subscribe and hit that notification bell to help russ out um he's also got some phenomenal interviews in there shaka hislop one of them i watched i really enjoyed so make sure you pop on over there um and make sure you don't watch mine and you definitely watch Liam's. He's way more fun than I am. And if you want to talk shit on me, please just drop us a line. Always get involved with the show. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at A-H-R-W-H-U. Um, and then also anything with the American Hammers Network, get involved with the show. Drop a line. If you ever want to be on the show, if we like you, we'll consider it. If not, fuck off. But that's really <laughs> uh, that's really kind of where it is. Obviously, uh, we love all West Ham United fans. This weekend, huge match against Liverpool out here on the West Coast. That game is at 10.30 a.m. If you find yourself out here in Fresno, California, feel free to join us. We're finally going to get to be at a bar again. We're going yeah. to a bar. No more house parties, at least for this week. Um, we're going to be joining the the LFC Fresno supporter group at Strummers here in Fresno. Pop on over if you're a West Ham fan or a Liverpool fan or hell, just a casual fan and want to watch some fireworks because I promise you we are going to piss them off. They are a very sensitive bunch. <laughs> uh, want to say thank you to Liam for joining me tonight. Thank you to Tim and Lee for providing us this platform on American Hammers Network. And as always, come, come on, on you, you irons. irons.